there a feeling that he refers to you as Chunky? Definitely referring to you as Chunky. He was not referring to me. No, he was. Because you're the one that's going to be reading this. No, he asked if you were ready because I'd already said that I was ready. You think so? I don't think I said that. I know I said that. This is all recorded. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the number one financial literacy podcast in the world. That is my co-host, Saeed Omar, over there in total denial. That over there is Chris Nahibi. Welcome back to the show, everybody. And behind the ones and twos is DJ Arun. Ooh, I like this. We're giving him a new nickname. <laughs> A.K.A. the National Lampoon. <laughs> DJ Baboon. He's the Chevy Chase of podcasting. Ooh. Remember when we used to do that? What? The, I love that. Yeah, the Jeff Goldblum of podcasting. Sasha Baron Cohen. Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah. New listeners don't have no, no idea. Yeah, they they have no idea that that's. What was that's that? Oh, I was the Barry White, the Barry White of podcast. Yeah, and then you said that we couldn't do that anymore because it was unprofessional. I think a lot of people told us that they didn't like it. People, but the people that matter, they didn't say that. <laughs> the people in this room, <laughs> <laughs> just the people who listen to the show, apparently. So, in case many of you were wondering, Said is still very much sick and coughing, so you'll be hearing that today. I'm sorry, you got out of the way. <laughs> there it is. There's number one, and. Uh, in case any of you are wondering, I am still going to Hawaii in approximately a couple days from now, and uh, I am uh, looking forward to getting whatever the fuck it is you're going to give me that you have right now. I'm not contagious, man. Stop it. Says the man who literally told me on the drive over here that you started taking a course of antibiotics the last time we had a podcast. That's day, dirty, man. Day one. That's dirty. You deserve every bit I, of that. <laughs> that's dirty. Even Arun was like, that's, that's just fucked up. You're the only person I would get sick joy out of getting sick. <laughs> the only one. Arun, out of all the things we've said so far, that's what made you laugh? Yeah. Oh, no, I was laughing. I just unmuted myself. Oh, dude, you're, yeah. you're lacking right now. I'm lacking. Your riz is off is what he's saying. Your riz is... Because uh, we didn't eat, Said. No, it's not key, that. You're giving, you're giving vibes. It's not that. You know what it is. Hurry up. Get to the point. Crack Me? it open. Bro, I already opened it. No, he, I, I saw him open it. It's yeah. very... Oh, lame, dude. Yeah. He couldn't wait. Dude, wait. messing up the show. He'll probably open another one mid-show. It's probably a sneak attack. Yeah. I respect that. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, we had a little thing called the Fed meeting. And uh, at that Fed meeting, the Fed uh, decided to do some things. And not do some things. Yeah. We'll talk about all those things coming up here shortly. Then we'll take a little trip down uh, the Fed forecast lane with uh, a little bit of a dissenting opinion on what they uh, may or may not be telling you as having any value. Mm. Apparently, the Fed has got a terrible track record. The Fed? The Fed. Has a terrible track record. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Apparently, their forecasts, they, uh, at a, on a scale of 1 to 10, mm. I would say their accuracy is a minus 1. Wow. Yeah. We'll get into those specifics coming up here shortly. Hence all the revisions. All the revisions, which are not uncommon. Zillow does it. Um, the Fed obviously does it. There's a number of people who do revisions. The Bureau of Labor Statistics do, does it. So... Mm. Revisions are not that big of a deal. They're not uncommon. What pisses me off about revisions is people revise down, but the mainstream media rarely reports on it. They don't cover it, exactly. So that initial headline figure, that's what people believe. Yep. And it's unfortunate. So, But, uh, okay, yeah. Well, apparently there's also some implications to all this Fed stuff that you may or may not have noticed, like a housing bubble. We're in one? We may, in fact, be in one, and we have some data which suggests this could be, in theory— the biggest housing bubble ever. And I know the pundits of the housing market, those economists who happen to have a bias or slant towards that have been saying 
supply and demand, and it's not going to go down. Matter of fact, home values going to go up next year. But um, one of those pundits, if you will, Zillow has shifted their forecast in 2024 from this massive 6% growth down to just under 5%. And instead of 120 markets going up, it's under 40 markets now going up. So there's been some pretty significant uh, pivots from, from Zillow and the people in the market who said things like the 10-year treasuries are never going to hit 4.3%. Well, they're over 4.4 today. Yep. And if you Google as of today, today is the 21st of September, the 30-year mortgage rate, guess what comes up? Eight, hand, eight handle? An eight handle. That's right. The Ocho. And we got to do a deep dive on that too because um, most of the time the major media outlets, when, when they cover mortgage rates, they're usually talking about Freddie Mac. Mm-hmm. And when you just Google it, you're getting a whole different figure. Yeah, and it's usually higher. Yeah, and we'll, yeah. we'll get into that. We'll get into that briefly, and then we'll talk about why the Fed would be flying blind on interest rate decisions after a government shutdown, the 30-year mortgage rates rising again, like we've suggested, flirting with a historic peak, and then uh, there's some reviews. We got a lot of them. We do. We'll cover some this show, and for those of you who feel neglected, don't feel neglected. We're doing a back-to-back episode recording today. For you, it'll actually be about three or four days in between, and that next show will have your review in it. I guarantee it. Yes, sir. I'm just waiting for you to cough. You ready? What was that? Yeah, well, it was awkward, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was. What was what? Are you thinking something else? Yes, sir. I feel like. Hey, you're not above saying yes, sir. Yeah, but when I do it, it's sexy and climactic. Let me hear it. Yes, sir. (laughs) See? (laughs) See? So much better. See? (laughs) So much better. Arun, seriously, five star yes, sir, right? (laughs) He knows. Two. Oh. Let's go. What do you got? Yes, sir. No, oh, that was so effeminate. Yes, sir. Yeah, also, terrible. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yes. yeah, very. Yeah, yeah. Man, I, I think we finally found a skill we all suck at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we, we cannot. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, according to CNBC, the Federal Reserve leaves rates unchanged. Here's how it impacts your money. I hate headlines like this. Yeah. Here's how it impacts your money. That's the the clickbait bullshit. Yeah. They could have just gone with. The Federal Reserve leaves rates unchanged. Yeah. That was a good enough headline. Ooh, I want to read about that. Instead, it's, ooh, here's how it impacts your money. Yeah. And exactly. someone's like, oh, fuck, I'm going to lose some money? How? What's going on? Right. So, for those of you who recall previous shows, I do not actually have a TV in my current temporary office while we're doing some construction. And uh, typically, I watch all of the Fed meeting uh, and the press conference that takes place the day after uh, their first start date, the day after. you know. Which, by I, the way, your boy, Jerome Powell. Got an upgrade. Yeah, JP, uh, JP out there with a with uh, some technology in front of him, an iPad, off an iPad, bro. That's a little plug, right? I feel like it really had a mirror in it. He was just looking at himself, but he didn't want to be that guy. <laughs> yeah, so, he had the selfie camera on. Yeah, he had the booger angle going. All right, yeah, nothing, nothing's good. In the yeah, exactly. It, why all of a sudden now does he using an iPad? Yeah, that seemed like a big pivot, right? He's just like, look, Biden. We see what Biden's doing. At these press conferences, I see what Mitch is doing. I can't be I can't be number three. So he's like, I'm gonna make sure I follow the script to a T. That that would kind of be funny if he did the whole hesitation thing. Yeah. Yeah. We, you know what we should do when Arun gets back from wherever the hell he just went? <laughs> we should just not talk and look at him and see if he freaks out or not. <laughs> Fuck you, motherfucker. <laughs> Damn it, he's still here. <laughs> I thought you just left. He left it out the door. He actually found it. Oh, wow. That's the first time a delivery guy's ever found it. Yeah. Uh, Rune has ordered some food for uh, Saeed and himself because I was a selfish bastard and ate before they got here. No offer. No, I said that I didn't offer. At least he was just, honest. 
Yeah. Just... Honest, bro. We walked in on him eating. That's like Shaggy. Said she caught me on the counter. Yeah, you're right there. <laughs> it wasn't you, me. You were cheating on us right there. It wasn't me. Yeah. I hadn't had lunch. I apologize. I, I, I would feel bad except for the fact this article was written by Jay Dickler. <laughs> so Jay Dickler. Come on, man. It's, key it's Jessica, bro. Yeah. Her at handle is Jay Dickler. That is a quote. If you want to find her on Twitter, you go to at Jay Dickler. And look, there's a picture of Jay Dickler. Okay, that's just factual. Like Lur. Okay. Okay. I'm going to leave it alone. I have, I have respect for the ladies. Welcome my time. I uh, drive my children around, but I write uh, for a living. Yeah, okay, great. Sounds, sounds like a wonderful person. Shout out to Jessica. Yeah, Dickler. All right. So the Fed Reserve left interest rates unchanged at the end of this particular two-day policy meeting, the 19th and 20th of September. Right? Yeah. The uh, central bank has raised its benchmark, as you already know, mm -hmm. to its current status. Uh, and uh, that has been the fastest cadence we've gotten since uh, the early 1980s? Yes. And I would even argue back then, it even though it was 50 basis points, 50 basis points, and 50 basis points consistently, that that was more predictable, more concise, and more thoughtful of a plan than anything we've done now. And right. again, I will reiterate, the Fed has not clearly communicated why we have deviated in, in a methodology we have never before seen. Right. Keep in mind, they have not even come out and said that we are facing hyperinflation. That I'm, do you recall them saying that ever? No, but that is the ultimate fear, right? That's why you start this whole... Yeah, but say... So here's the thing about... Okay, I'm going to go on a little fucking rant, so I apologize. Let's do this. Jerome Powell has literally positioned himself and said to the public that he is and aspires to be the most communicative Fed chair. Yeah, he, he, he understands what new cycle he's in. Right. Fine. Totally acceptable, okay? But at the same time... You have not told us why you've done this bell curve methodology. You have not come out and explained, at least not in my mind, clearly that you feared hyperinflation, so these things had to be done. And now you have an FOMC meeting, and I'm sure you saw his commentary afterward, where the majority of the FOMC members seem to vote on their, their dot plot that they believe a 25 basis point on, increase on top of where we're at may be necessary. 12 out of 12 voted that another 25 basis points would be needed. Seven said that we're fine right where we are. Okay, so even then, you got a majority. He's now coming out saying, okay, we're not going to increase rates, but we are definitely going to hold them for for longer. I feel like it's fear-mongering. Right. Like you're now using the media not to be honest, not to be communicative, but as an outlet to get your evil deeds done. I don't think it's that, man. Okay, well, first, let's backtrack a little bit. Oh. So just as a refresher for everybody, um, at the end of every quarter... Uh, with the FOMC meeting, basically, they have uh, a report that comes out. It's called the SEP, the Summary of Economic Projections. I'm fighting it, right? Don't just let it out, man. Let it out. <coughs> there it is. Excuse me. Um, you are and excuse my in this in this report, a lot of things get presented. Think of it as a more detailed version of their minutes, okay? Mm. And what all one of the things in the report is all the members voting and non-voting. Basically, let you know where they see the Fed funds rate at at the end of this year, at the end of 2024, at the end of 2025. And just like all the other reports, these things can be revised, right? And in this report, what Chris was referring to was 12 of the members said that they see rates at 5.75%, uh, which is one more increase, basically, by the end of the year. And seven of them said, we're fine right where we are. The interesting part, though, was for 2024, 
there was one asshole out there that said that they voted that they thought rates would be at 6% by the end of 2024. Neil Kashkari. This piece of shit. Neil Kashkari. That's who it was. Yeah. There's no way to prove that, of course, but we know. Yeah, so, so some other data points in this report that, um, that are key is they, t- they basically project where they see GDP being for the year. Okay? This was wildly uh, important because at the end of March, when this report came out, they projected GDP to be at 0.4% by the end of the year. Not a whole lot of movement. In June, they projected it to be 1%. A positive 1%. All you need to know is that's basically signaling no recession. The economy is still going to be going at a positive rate, right? At the end of this one, they reported it's going to be 2%. This is going higher, man. Mm -hmm. When When they're in a raising rate cycle, what they're trying to do is slow down an overheating economy, something we covered on the last episode. And what they're saying is we're not seeing that at all. So very much signaling that they think a soft landing is possible, but when asked at the post-game press conference, somebody asked him, would you say that your baseline projection is a soft landing now? He laughed it off and was like, no, no, no. Why did all of a sudden he sound Nigerian? I'm, I'm holding back a cough, man. Is that, is that what that sounds like? Yeah. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> <laughs> There it is. I'm going to get every cough out of you tonight. So what I'll say in response to that is this. There there clearly is, this is how bad social media has gotten. This is how bad the internet is. The FOMC clearly believes in manifestation. They're trying to manifest their belief as opposed to looking at the real data. I don't think, you really think so? Because that was the second thing that I wanted to say. You said that. Um, he's trying to be communicative, but um, he's what, what was it that you you accused him of? Because I think what he's doing is ultimately singling out to the markets. He understands people are leaning on every word that I say. Yeah, okay, he's gaslighting everybody. That's what he's and doing. He's gaslighting. I need to be hawkish, even if I know we aren't going to be raising rates anymore because it will just crumble the economy. Okay, but then, then here's my here's my response to that. I agree with that. I agree that he needs to do that because that's who he is in front of the camera. Here's my problem. Then you shouldn't be in front of the camera. You should be reading a written statement. There should not be a Q&A session. You should not be as communicative because your words have too much of a bearing on the market. Mm-hmm. And anything you say can swing it cataclysmically in yeah. one way or another. And that is too much for power, frankly, mm-hmm. for one person to have for the economy. And here's okay, and for the listeners out there that are wondering Right now, okay, well, what's the big deal if he does come out and say, we're done? We're done raising rates. We're just going to hold here. Because that was the big takeaway from from this meeting mm-hmm. and from his uh, press conference. Despite what the FOMC's dot plot in the SEP says. Yes. So the big takeaway from this meeting ultimately was that they're going to hold rates higher for longer. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if even if there isn't another rate increase, we're, we're going to keep it here for longer. And all that really means for everyone out there listening is more stress on this system for a longer period of time, okay? And the reason why it might not be a good idea to come out and say we're done and we're going to hold here, this whole pattern of raising rates, holding rates, and then ultimately cutting, that's three phases. 
If you signal to the markets, we're done raising and we're going to hold, you've now told everybody we've now shifted in to phase two of this approach. And optimism now creeps back into the market. What he wants is for people to still reduce their spending. Yeah, but see, he could have easily overcome that by providing the financial literacy, the communication that he so holds dear. So, for example, most recessionary economies don't start until after they've gotten to their to their terminal rate. Yes. Okay. Another example, hey, guys, there's there's indicators that we have been unable to change the yield curve inversion. Okay. Of all the Goldilocks scenarios that we could possibly put in front of you and label, uh, you know, sexy things and unicorn names and have gumdrops and lollipops fall from the skies. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's happened once since World War II, the 1995 recession, which was arguably the, the slightest recession we've ever had. Okay. So for, for him to, to think that he can't say these things, you know, you could say them. Except you would have to educate people why they still should be afraid and the indicators that you're looking at. And yet all the information that he provides is not. I don't need you to be like this intimidating father figure. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to be educational. You're supposed to be providing context. And you're supposed to be clear and communicative. And instead, what I think you have is somebody who's trying to use fear to get the markets to respond from a behavioral economic standpoint. And that is not your job, dude. Mm. Okay? That is not your job. That's my job. Yeah. But if if he did teach that financial literacy, then where would we be? Well, we would probably be interviewing him right now. Yeah. And will, uh, we, get, will we get more than 15 minutes like uh, your boy? No. No, you don't get more than 15 minutes with no. JP. JP has somebody to tell you that you don't have any more time with JP. He but but if you're Sam Bakeman Freed. Yeah, you get 15 minutes. You get an hour. <laughs> you know, um, the, the thing is, is. You know, Jerome Powell's cars don't... He doesn't drive a gas vehicle. He, he uh, His cars run on fear. <laughs> okay, got yeah. it. Yeah, you know how people like uh, kids, young boys will pee in the snow and make like, you know, drawings because their urine's so hot? I've never seen that. No, I oh, don't. He'll, I don't he'll pee like... in concrete and make an animals <laughs> with his urine. Yeah. That's, JP. Okay. I don't know where you're going with this. Huh? I don't know where you're going, but I'm rolling with it. Well, what I'm trying to say is, is despite the image of confidence, okay, and despite the the bravado that this stoic personality that is Jerome Powell, who really is just a a, a voice for the FOMC, despite their underlying confidence in what they're doing, there is a track record, a history. Take the Fed forecast with a grain of salt; it has a terrible track record. This, according to another. CNBC article from Bob Pisani, one of my favorites. Um, this is a new thing we're doing for the show now. We're calling out the authors of these articles? Yeah, I just feel like it's respectful. It's you know, respectful. Classy. Oh, it's classy. It gives us a little bit of journalistic integrity. And I like Bob Pisani. So I like that name, Bob. The other one just had a funny name. Bobby over here. Pisani. Bobby's a good guy. So Swedro noted that at the end of 2021... The Federal Reserve forecast that it would need to raise rates three times and that its policy target rate would end 2022 below 1%. Isn't that lovely? Mm -hmm. What actually happened, you might be thinking? Well, the Federal Reserve raised the Fed funds rate seven times in 2022, ending the year with the target rate at 425 to 4.5%. Mm. How does this happen, Said? How does this happen? Okay, tell me. There are two, two fundamental underlying problems. 
Problem number one, okay? Predictions from the Fed and everyone else are riddled with bias mm -hmm. and noise that limit the quality of those predictions, okay? Bias and noise. And what we mean by bias is if you're in the real estate business, and we've talked about this a ton on the show, and you're an economist, Lawrence Yoon, for example. National Association of Realtors. Right? You have a bias because you inherently like and work for real estate and realtors. Yeah. You can't control that. It's not intentional. It's emotional. It's subconscious. It is what it is. And the the noise, everybody in your ecosystem is going to be, and my word of the day, pundit, is going to be a supporter of that philosophy. And they're going to give you the data skewed towards that philosophy. Yep. Problem number two, lack of complete information because events occur that are unpredictable and can affect the outcomes. And to this, I would say, despite the fact that the Fed has said that they're very data dependent, what data have they really honed in on and relied on that has been so pivotal that they needed to raise rates at the cadence that they've been at? That remains to be seen. And it should have been seen by now. That Therein lies the irony. I would have had more respect for Jerome Powell and the FOMC if they would have said, hey, look, honestly, we do feel that another 25 basis point may be needed, but we haven't seen the data, the data to support that. Now, do we think that X, Y, and Z will increase? Yes. And if they do, that 25 basis point will be... I understand that they don't want to put themselves into a corner by, by giving you some type of reference, an index to look at. But at the same time, if you're really looking at those things, what's wrong with being communicative and letting us look at it at the same time you are? Right. If that's truly what's driving your decision. Right. So all of this should make everyone feel very humble about the forecasting, the things you hear from the Fed, and less eager to make sudden changes in your investments. Don't react to what the Fed says they're going to do. React to what you see happening. Yet another reason why we tell people on lives, on the show, all over social media when we respond to questions, the number one question, what should I do with my money? We tell you to wait. People get really, really frustrated because they've been taught their entire lives having money in your savings account is only wasting money. You could be making more money on your money, but you're not leveraging it. Right. Not in this market, kids. And it has not been, in this market. I think it has been proven so far throughout this cycle that, look, the S&P 500, you know, even the NASDAQ, even though it took a little bit of a dip yesterday, um, it's still been performing. This year so far. Yeah, but we're what we're entering into and seeing already the, the the pains of a cracking system in an earnings recession. To continue on the article here, the key to investing is to know your risk tolerance, have a long-term plan, stay invested, and avoid market timing. Yeah. Now, I will say there's a little bit of beef I have with that statement, but I'll get to that in a minute. Sweet Joe's conclusion, if the Federal Reserve, which sets the Fed funds rate can be so wrong in its own forecasts. The people who are supposed to be the subject matter experts, who are the ones driving the decisions, if they can be so wrong in their forecasts, it isn't likely that a professional forecaster will be accurate in theirs. The Lawrence Yoon over at the National Association of Realtors. Mm -hmm. Logan over at Housing Wire. Great guy, I like him. Okay, but even the guys the higher standard. Come on now. We are not better than these people. The only difference and the reason why we think we can see some of these things and have a great track record for calling these things thus far. Mm -hmm. Well done, by the way. Yeah, good job. It's impressive. Kudos. I mean, I will rub those fuzzy fingernails all day long. There you long. go. Um, the reason why is we don't have an inherent bias. It doesn't matter to us one way or the other. 
and we're very clear with the banking background and, and, and what that means for us. But the fact of the matter is we started the show to provide financial literacy. We don't have a reason to push you into one investment or another. We're not selling you anything, at least not yet anyway. <laughs> and we don't have a reason to financially motivate you one way or the other. We hope you do what is truly best for you. And right now, despite popular belief, you'll hear a lot of this. The key to investing is to know your risk. <clears throat> excuse me, I sound excited. Know your risk tolerance, have a long-term plan, stay invested, and avoid the market timing. I agree. It's almost impossible to time the market in some instances. However, yes, stay invested. But let's say you're holding a large amount of your assets in a, in a company that's at a, at a very high point. Maybe you sell now and go to cash and wait and then go back in the market when things dip a little bit more. Maybe. It's not always the case. And what I'll tell you is, is dollar cost averaging, buying consistently through any period of time is a great strategy, one I absolutely believe in. I know one you believe in. That's one that we practice. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. What I will say is there are red flags in markets. If you got the NASDAQ at an all-time high or close to all-time highs in some ways, and you've got all these companies with massive earnings, and you know consumer spending is going to pull back, and you know you're seeing cracks in the system, then I would say, why don't you be thoughtful about investing in those particular markets and wait? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's, that is a question that I've gotten um, from listeners in the past that have heard me say that I believe in dollar cost averaging for myself and my family. <coughs> Excuse me. You um, are really struggling still. Yeah. It's been but, two weeks now, right? Two weeks. <coughs> Excuse me. You sure it's not like a hairball or something? Right. But all that body hair you got going on over there, I just, I just figured like, you know, my cat has hairballs. I would say that if you were just starting out, I wouldn't start now. If I got you a laser hair removal certificate, would you go? Bro, he's trying so hard to stay on topic. My gift for you. I'm trying. I, I know. I know you're trying. But I'm, I'm being serious. My brother just had his butt laser hair removal. Like, Sorry, just tell me when. Tell yeah. You, yeah go, no, don't do it. Well, he's going to meet me. <laughs> he wanted to meet you. <laughs> yeah, no, keep it going. One, one review that we'll be talking about later in the show really enjoys this. The banter. I think they enjoyed my banter. You're ignoring said banter, and that is not banter. That's just me commenting. Right. But so, now yeah. wouldn't be the best time, I would imagine, to start because there's so much uncertainty, right? Yeah, uncertainty in this market is, is kind of something we've all gotten a bit immune to. But look, the optimism, as much as I appreciate all that, there, there is a lot of change coming to the market, good, bad, or ugly. Mm -hmm. Real estate stock market, the bond market, all of it's changing. It's a dynamic landscape. Yeah, and, yields went up on bonds too. Yeah, and for, those, for those of you who, who want uh, a longer answer on bonds, the, the next episode we drop will most likely have uh, a pretty thorough answer there. But bonds and stocks are typically competing investments, right? Bonds are considered significantly safer than the stock market is for a number of reasons. We'll get into that on a later episode. So typically speaking, there's a little bit of competition there. And you're seeing some unsettling things in the bond market. It's behaving in a way that I don't necessarily fully understand. Uh, and seasoned bond traders that I've known for a long time who've done it for their entire lives can't really articulate to me why certain things are happening. Interesting. We saw the 10-year treasury spike up. And uh, again, Logan from Housing Wire, who I follow, great guy, he thought the 10-year treasury was going to cap out at 430. And I kept telling him, no, 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 it's not. Mm -hmm. It's going to keep going up. I don't have a rational reason to explain to him why it's going to keep going up other than the yield curve inversion. Well, the two-year and the three-year also went up, and those are, generally speaking, more tied to uh, monetary policy. So, because they're shorter-term investments, they're near-term, yes. Right, and we'll get into that on the on the next episode, as Chris mentioned, why that is. Um, so there was some activity there yesterday after, or actually during 
the press conference with Jerome Powell. So yeah, during the press conference, the uh, I want to say it was the was it two year treasury? I think I sent you the messages. I the was two, watching it live. The two and the three year treasury. I think they went up uh, seven basis points. Yeah, but there was also a spike, and I thought it was a glitch in the system originally, where it spiked up like pretty drastic, almost a full point, and then went right back down immediately. Mm-hmm. And then I was like freaking out, going, "What the hell's going on here?" I was taking screenshots, trying to figure out what was going on, and then the treasury markets. That was the, that was the night before. The night before, so I was like, "Oh shit, are they going to have like an un?" Like, is there going to be like a 25 base point rollout that we didn't expect it? Like, yeah, yeah I, I didn't know what was going on. Um, but I kept an eye on it the next morning as soon as the market opened. The 10-year seemed to be creeping up, but nothing bad. And the, and the rest of the treasury seemed to settle down a little bit. But that's what I mean by the markets are so just schizophrenic, if you will. They're all over the place right now. They're doing really weird things. It's hard for me to tell anybody, hey, go into this, go into that. You, know, you should be fine. I, I don't know what I would go into right now. And if I'm being honest... Other than my dollar cost averaging in my in my investment accounts, I have not sold any stock. I have not bought any stock. I have not bought any real estate in a couple of years, which is very uncharacteristic of me. And I haven't made any big like expenditures other than the car build and well, some of the travel stuff. But I mean, those are rare, right? So, if any, um, if if anything, something that we've been mentioning now for since since I started on the show, we talked about uh, cash is truly king right now. And I w- I'd be hoarding cash, if if anything. I thought you were going to go with cash rules everything around me. Cream. Dollar, dollar bills, y'all. Okay, yeah, I know. Jeez. I mean, I can't get Lagers. Two like, in one episode, huh, Said? He deserved it right there. I did. And it was a fuzzy fist pump, so we can actually do multiple times because there's plenty of cushion, especially because he's got chubby knuckles. I'm trying to create some kinetic energy. <laughs> kinetic. You know our, our new uh, podcast clips, which we're rolling out, starting on Saturday and Sunday. They should be out. By the time you hear this, they're out. We've decided that sometimes certain topics that we cover on the show are standalone and strong enough to be individual, short, brief, sexy clips. That you can share with your friends and family. Hey, you know what? The guys in the podcast, they talked about this really cool topic. They talked about the Fed's $100 billion loss and how much this has impacted them. Mm-hmm. But I, I can't send this link for an hour-long podcast and say, listen into this. People aren't going to do that. They're not going to go to this number. Now you can send them clips of the show with just that portion of it there right off our YouTube. So if you haven't gone to our YouTube, please go there. Everyone should also know. Subscribe. We do all this stuff in-house. In-house, baby. We don't outsource any of this. Yes, I, he's not only my co-host. He's also a client. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's uh, the real maker. Reels and shorts. I do a majority of the reels. Chris does too. You help out yeah, on those. Yeah, I try to help out when I can. Oh, doing edits the YouTube videos. I do all the sizzling final effects, which are not as cool as I want to be if I had more time, man. Uh, and then I do the upload to YouTube's and all the social media and everything else. Handle the audio. I handle the audio. The audio is uh, is a bit of a burdensome thing, but I've learned a lot. Yeah. But uh, we all wanted to do it in house so that we could know exactly what we were asking other people to do, and then ultimately we had other people doing it originally, and we. Brought it back in-house to ourselves. We thought we could do a better job. And I think we are. Yeah. You think? I, I think we're... I like, I like having the flexibility of being able to turn something around quicker if we needed to. And I will say we've had less technical challenges this way. Correct. I keep worrying about, like, you know, what am I going to have, like, some of the pain points that we had in the past. And I haven't seen any of those challenges. So maybe it's... Maybe... Maybe we're just that talented. I think we're practicing what we're preaching, though. You know, do the hard work yourself first. Learn the business inside and out. Mm, yeah, there you go. Right, and uh, don't make any money. Yeah, <laughs> zero. <laughs> <laughs> my, my wife's starting to look at me like, "You're going to the podcast again, huh?" Leaving, huh? Yeah. 
It's social hour. It's not money making. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. It was bad when we were drinking all the time. That was the problem. No, that was the best part. That was the best part. At least but, I come home and be like, yeah, I had a great time. Yeah. But the, wow. You don't have a great time when you're not drinking? No. It's really hard to talk to you when you all you talk about is my laser hair. Your lack of laser hair. My lack of laser hair. <laughs> I'm trying to help What's you that? evolve. No. Yeah. So what? An alien? AT aliens, baby. No, look, I'm honestly like, so you ever walk into a room, you know, wearing some shoes and you get like static electricity and it shocks you? Never. Never happened to you? Never. Well, I call bullshit on that. <laughs> bullshit. If I rubbed a balloon on your arms, yeah, it would stick, wouldn't it? Are you trying to make this segue right now? No. Okay. Oh, the balloon bubble. Yeah. Is that what you're going with? Yeah. No, I'm right here, man. I'm okay. in this. Let's laser hair move your arms. I will pay for it. No. I will take you. I like, my wife likes it. No, she doesn't. She does. She's do, do it for the YouTube channel. We'll go live. Yeah. Do it for the clout. Do it for the clout. We'll do it on live. All right. Get this video to 1,000 likes. Is that what they, isn't that what they say? I'm pretty sure I can get this to 1,000 likes. I just got to go find somebody that I can pay to like, like it 1,000 Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, that's like 10 bucks on Fiverr. Yeah, and I'm done. See, he knows. <laughs> Upwork, baby. Yeah, y'all are gaming the system. You never said rules. You said this video. Yeah. Okay. Well, done. No problem. We'll get you as hair removal. All right. So I ran across every once in a while, I get into Twitter and I start scrolling through. I try not to go on Twitter because I, I look, I, Dude, I what's gonna, up with the monthly subs? You're going to pay a subscription now? For what? Isn't that what they came out and said? They're going to, what uh, Elon wants oh, to do? Everybody on it. Yeah, yeah. Everybody on it is going to have to pay a monthly subscription and it's their way of tackling the bots. You could have tackled the bots, but there's many other ways to tackle the bots. I, that, that's not true. Yeah, I agree. So it's like, are you going to are you going to start paying? Well, I already pay for a, a verified account anyway. I, I pay for Twitter Blue, whatever it is. Well, so you get cleared if you do that? I think if you're paying for Twitter Blue, like that's what they're going to make everybody do. Ah, uh, okay. That's, that's my guess. And if I had to pay more, I wouldn't do it. Honestly, I'm considering, I'm considering given the amount of, because we have to post on so much shit. It's my personal Instagram account, my my threads account, my Twitter account, my LinkedIn account, you know, and I'm probably, oh, my TikTok account. And then I'm like, okay, then the show's YouTube account. You're starting to see the real value in these social media managers. Well, it, not only that, but it, it's just like, I, I don't think you need all of those outlets. I think you need one outlet for like, like, like Twitter used to be. That's like a good, like quick text outlet. I think threads encompasses some of that, but not, it's not used as heavy. But I know that Instagram is in some ways like the new Facebook and will eventually be outdated by something else. Like TikTok. TikTok, though, is I'm having a real difficult time with some of the things I'm seeing there now. Mm. There's a lot of like sexually suggestive ads where people, it's fucked up, man. The porn industry. And I've a lot still of this, never gotten on TikTok. I mean, it, look, it, once you get past the like, just the user functionality and like, simple stuff, TikTok's actually kind of cool. And in its, in its early days, it was very addictive. And, and I, I get why it grew so fast. The stuff that I heard on like Joe Rogan's show about you know China and the data that they can download from you and that I've subsequently verified on my own, it's scary. They have access to a lot of information. But now you're starting to see like that element creep in where like on every social media platform, you get like people who are trying to sell sex or porn mm. or scam. Yeah. Well, now those people have really found a way to permeate TikTok and you can scroll through TikToks and have people say like, oh, I thought I was innocent until and like it's really an ad for like some like porn stuff and oh, wow. it just looks sexually suggestive and I'm getting to the point now where I'm so tired of seeing that shit that I'm just considering getting rid of, getting rid of TikTok at all in total and just saying like, I don't have a value in doing this. Yeah. You know, it's not like I'm, I'm not growing there. And the other thing that bothers me about all these platforms now is they're almost all pay to play. We bastardize people who have like fake followers and fake likes, but at the same time, the only way to really grow aggressively is to pay for a shit ton of ads 
yeah on these platforms really push the profiles yeah and that yeah. that's that's um unless you go viral and that's harder and harder to do in a you know landscape filled with so many users and so many content creators right ironically i saw a poll recently that over almost 50 percent of gen z believes they could become an influencer relatively easily they think yeah hmm. well i mean you're starting to see a lot of i see a lot of common like concepts where people just go around like handing out answer this question i'll give you twenty dollars and you get get a, and they're just going and they just know how to keep you engaged in the videos right yeah but what's the what's the value of that and i, I get the people who just want to watch it and if you're an attractive girl and you find a shtick, you just do that shtick over and over and over again, and that's what that's what you know gets you growth. But to what end? Like, right. what are you doing? What are you providing? Right. You're you're an entertainer at that point. What's the long term goal here? Yeah, and I mean, I guess you can cross brand and promote and go into other products and try to grow your personal brand. But <coughs> for for every Charlie and Dixie D'Amelio or D'Amelio, whatever the hell her name is, there's millions more like them trying to do what they did and replicate it, and they're never going to get anywhere. At least if you're doing something like, I don't know, like financial literacy podcast, you're giving back and trying to build something. Right. I don't see people try to build clout off of building something that provides value to people for free mm -hmm. for years. Yeah. I guess entertainment could kind of be that thing, but. I mean, we could, I imagine if we had more time and we started doing some of these trends. By the way, you know, I saw um, that, that guy, Graham Stephan. Yeah. And he came out with the opposite opinion of our whole $5 Starbucks thing. Oh, no, he's he's always been a hardcore, like, cheapskate. Yeah. He's always been that way. Like he went, he started his own coffee company um, that he sells. You're having a tough time coughing again, aren't you? Go ahead. Get, let it out. Let it out. Come on. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. He's always been like a hardcore saver. That's why he moved to Vegas. Yeah. But I don't, I hate that approach. Right. Oh, so that, that's such a, that's one of the most polar, like emotionally visceral things for people. You're either on like the team, hey, spending money on coffee is totally fine. You know, it gets you through the day. It's caffeine, makes you happy. Right. Or you're on team, like, I would never spend $7 on coffee. That's bullshit. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be focusing on that, though. Give me my fucking $5 coffee so I can go on my day and go try to become better at what it is I'm trying to do. Adam and I from Mind Pump were having this conversation anecdotally in the DMs, and his response to me was, I never had the mindset of being cheap and saving $5 for coffee until I got rich. Mm -hmm. It's when I got rich that that uh, I started to really be more, like I, I, rec I recognized how much money I wanted on top of what I already had. That's when I became like more of a saver. Right. I thought to myself, well, at least one of us is rich. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, again, sorry to deviate so much. I was scrolling on Twitter, now X, and um, I came across a couple people in the financial sector that I really like. And one of the new followers that I followed was this Nick, I think, Gerl's name, or Gurley, G-E-R-L-I, I think. Gurley. So he posted this this housing bubble chart. And you're going to make fun of Dickler. You're not going to make fun of Gurley? Nick Gurley? No. He's got good data. Okay. Dickler's article is questionable. What? She used a clickbait title, bro. Bro, people need to know how the How it impacts your money? How, Get the fuck out of here. Just, it, just the fact that it does impact your money. It doesn't impact anybody's money. Come on, what? Yeah, Dickler's giving you the Dirk Dickler. <laughs> the Fed funds rate doesn't impact people's money? Hot take, bro. When they don't change it, nothing's changed. If they're still holding. Okay, give me $5. What? Give me five dollars. Yeah, no, you're gonna I'm hold gonna, it. I'm gonna hold it. Yeah. yeah, I'm losing money on inflation. No, I'm holding it. <laughs> yeah, inflation. My money. I'm holding. My five dollars is gonna be worth less by the time you give so it back to me. So you are a coffee saver. You no. just said coffee is five dollars ain't a big thing for you, man. Nah, 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 nah. That's not what I said. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> yeah, 
Come on, man. Don't do this. <laughs> so what Arun has pulled up is ReVenture, which I believe is Gurley's consulting firm. And it shows a chart, which is a big title on the top. It says, biggest housing bubble ever. It really shows inflation-adjusted home prices from, from 1890, is that what it is, to, to 2023. Yes. From the Case-Shiller uh, Index, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, inflation-adjusted home prices in 2023 are 85% overvalued compared to their 130-year average, according to the Case-Shiller Home Price Index. That's insane, man. That is insane. And when you look at it in the visual graphic that has been displayed here, it is way, way, way higher than it has ever been historically i mean way higher and if you look at the only other time there was a peak even remotely close to this well guess what kids it was the great recession so the suggestion is the great recession was a massive housing bubble and when it popped the market was changed the landscape pivoted in a way that took several years to recover from mm -hmm. well this chart seems to suggest that we are on the down beginning of a downward portion of a correction. Yeah. Because values could not be sustained at the previous numbers. And here we are again, diving back down. Even if they were to go halfway down, still above the <coughs> 130 year average. Right. Right. Well above it. The quote, normal average, if you will. Right. And still higher than any other period in time, except for the great recession, you would still be, halfway down you would still be significantly more affordable than you are today yep so again i will reiterate and Arun, go back to the uh the tweet if you will or the uh, then i'll call them tweets anyway whatever the hell they call them it's x not twitter yeah home prices just for inflation are 85 percent above or uh, overvalued compared to their 130 year 30 year average the only other time overvaluation came close was in 2006 and we know what happened in 2007 it was the great recession and we all know of course what happened after that and the impacts to the housing market. But what I will say is really, really, really interesting is there seems to be almost a denial of who this impacts the most. So I'm going to make um, what may sound like a very arrogant class-driven comment, but it's supposed to be illustrative, okay? Okay. So a grain of salt. The... Lower class is not going to have a tremendous change in their lifestyle if we enter into a recession, right? I don't know, man. They're not going to have, well, if you're a W-2 minimum wage earner, other than having to look for a job if you lose your job and having to go through unemployment in that situation, you're probably going to get a, get you a job that pays in and around the same amount of money, mm -hmm. okay? With no disrespect intended to them. The wealthy are going to survive a recessionary economy either way. The class that gets smashed down and compressed is the middle class because the middle class can't afford to buy homes, something the lower class wasn't going to be able to do anyway, Right. generally speaking. The middle class can't buy the one vehicle <coughs> which typically provides them the most of the, the biggest source of their wealth. So what's going to happen? The middle class is going to get smashed together if, mm -hmm. in fact, we don't have a correction in the housing market. Right. So this is not a hypothetical. That is actually factually what will happen. There is no avoiding it. When less people can buy homes, this is just a natural and logical consequence. And for my entire childhood, through presidents that were Democrat and Republican alike, the fear has always been the shrinking middle, middle class and they're only being rich and poor. 
because when you have rich and poor, you really have a subservient subculture that works for the other part of the subculture, right? Right. Uh, the other part of the culture, if you will. And I can tell you that the, the ramifications of this not happening scare me far more than anything in the near term does. Well, yeah, this definitely needs to happen because we know real wage growth is negative, meaning the prices of things are still going up at a pace that is more than our wages growing. So um, now there have been a month or two where the wage growth surpassed inflation, right? But as that continues to be negative, right, San Francisco Fed has already come out and said that the pandemic excess savings that people had will be ran out by October. Yep. Same time frame as student loan repayments coming back online. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's on average a student loan repayment of $300 a month that's getting pulled away from the retail space, consumption space, right? What does that mean? Ultimately, businesses become less profitable. I have stats here. New credit card delinquencies a year ago, 4.8%. Now, 7.2%. Right. New auto loan delinquencies last year, 5.6%. Now, 7.3%. Delinquencies are on the rise. Right. What does this ultimately mean? Business will be less profitable. They're going to have to pull back. More layoffs are ultimately going to come. That's around the corner. So I do feel like it's going to impact the lower class a lot, too. So at the same time, despite all of these concerns, despite all of the fear, you have a company that I lovingly call Tickle Shits, a.k.a. Zillow, mm -hmm. who once again shifts its 2024 home price forecast. Now, this did not make major headlines. I actually inadvertently found this by Googling uh, Zillow for some other reasons. I had I wanted to see what their the size of their company was, and I just wanted to see what was going on. And I ran across this Yahoo Finance article from Lance Lambert, who happens to be another person that I, I follow on X. So I was curious, hence my obsession with writers is I'm, I'm starting to see some of the same names pop up so much that I, I figure you know, I feel like, you know what? Yeah. There are people that I respect as writers from a journalist perspective. And there are people that I think like, you know what? You're Dirk Tickler basically. Got it. Yeah. Following their February call that U S home prices had hit bottom. Zillow economists proceeded to raise their home forecast every single month through August. Now let's just pause there. Try to think that through. Every single month through August, Zillow was raising their home price forecast in right. the middle of unprecedented Fed monetary policy. True. And I would say you need to understand how Zillow works. Zillow sells data to real estate agents based on the zip code in their area. They have to keep their clients, the realtors, motivated, optimistic, happy and buying their leads how do you do that you give them the hope mm -hmm. that home values are going to rise the market's not going to crash it's going to be good right so for every single month during this tumultuous time through august again they're raising their forecast at that point zillow predicted that the u.s home prices would climb to 6.5 percent over the next 12 months from august 23 to august 24 when the Fed has already come out and said, we are holding rates, They're, the FOMC and Jerome Powell have done a lot of things. They have not, in any way, shape, or form, ever backed off the, we are going to hold rates for a long time rhetoric. Right. That has always been the story. Mm -hmm. So this 6.5% over the next 12 months, 
was just above 5.5% annual increase. The national home prices as tracked by Case Shiller has averaged since 1975. So they're saying not only are home prices going to go up more than they have historically at 5.5% since 1975 until now, they're going to go up 1% actually better than that. Right. You're going to have a better than average growth year the next year. And I guarantee you, if you talk to somebody over Zillow, they'd be like, hey, man, supply and demand. Yeah. Supply and demand. They would cite Dave Ramsey. They would low, cite Lawrence Yoon. Low inventory right now. Yeah, they would cite all, all these economists who we know, because we covered it earlier in the show, have a, pre- a pre-existing bias. They don't have the correct information. Even the FOMC gets this wrong. This is a really, really frustrating topic, man, because you know we initially pr- predicted that values were going to come down 10 to 15%, and they did. They did. In a lot of markets, they did come down, and we did hit those exact numbers. No, even national averages at one point hit yes. 11, 11.9%. They have since rebounded. But we also said that July mm-hmm. was a time to buy because we expected that to be kind of the cliff point before rates started to creep back up because of the summer months coming yes. back into play and the exactly. reporting of the data then. So we were not wrong there. But the frustrating part about all this too for us is, okay, how unaffordable it is for the masses. And I just don't, I don't see how this plays out with the lack of inventory because so many people have mortgage rates so low. Mm. What's going to be the incentive for them to list their house on the market? The catalyst. And, yeah, and get back out there because it's not looking like it's going to be unemployment, right? And even if it is, rates are so low, people are going to find a way, dude. Yeah. So I don't see enough inventory coming online to really bring this back down to where it needs to be. But – at the end of the day, it's regional. So here's what I'll say to that. I don't think anyone knows the answer to that question. And I've been getting asked, you've been getting asked that question a lot. Nobody knows the real answer to that question. And that, that's the frustrating part, right? So it's one of those things where I get that we don't have an answer that's concrete enough to tell you. All I can tell you is A plus B in this case does not equal C, right? I know, number one, the underlying bias of people like Zillow. And I know, number two, that we are missing data to tell us how this could possibly be the case. However, this week, Zillow economists issued a downward revision and predicted that U.S. home prices would instead rise 4.9% between August 2023 and August 2024. And somebody might be saying, hey, Chris, what's the difference? They went from they went from 6.5% down to 4.9%. The average is 5.5%. Now they're saying the market will be less than average over the course of the next year. Well, here's the problem. This is revision one downward. If you recall at the top of the article, I said that every single month going into August, they had raised their forecast. This is the beginning of them decreasing their forecast every single month for the next three months until they get closer to what actually is happening. So what I'm trying to tell you is, again, you cannot rely on Zillow economists. You can't rely on the FOMC, and their track record is, is indicative of that. You need to use your logical brain. And there is one more snippet from the article, which Arun is very, very happy about. Also, according to the data, as of September 5th, Arun is the greatest. I try to pull an anchor, man. I thought you'd just roll with it and read it. I know you're going to take such a long break between paragraphs. So you're disappointed that I didn't give you. So you you should put a question mark on it. I would have gone. Also, according to the data, as of September 5th, Arun is the greatest. (laughs) Well done, sir. No, put it in the paragraph. You got to put it in the paragraph with a question mark. I read the expressions. (laughs) I'm like, oh, question mark. Read that as a question. Yeah. 
So look, I, I get I get the frustration everybody has, but you have to be adult and logical about these things, and you have to kind of think it through pragmatically. If this continues, is it sustainable? And the answer, no. Yeah. Anyone out there right now telling you or talking like they know when this is going to happen, they're lying to you. Unless it's the higher standard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. But right now, we don't know what the catalyst is, is going to be. All I know is that it's unaffordable for the, the masses out there, and it has to come down mm. at some point. And it will. It, it absolutely will. Now, what will be that catalyst and what will start it off, we don't know. But we do know where we've come from. You have some charts here, Saeed. Would you like to be talking about? This was just for our discussion earlier in case we wanted to get into a, a deep dive into what um, the FOMC did um, in the past. And I thought earlier you had a chart up there where you mentioned uh, what, house, what, what happened in the housing market back in 2006. Mm -hmm. Odun, can you just scroll down, please, and pull up the second chart? that I have. This is from the CNBC chart of the day. Fed declines to hike, but points to rates staying higher for longer. That was the big takeaway from that meeting. Mm -hmm. And I thought this chart really illustrated, look where we are now in comparison to where we were in 2006. Yeah. Right. It's, um, it's exactly the same, same kind of area, same kind of line. Yeah. And again, so this is, this is the part that bothers me the most about kind of the macro picture. And I'm sure this happens to you a lot. Mm -hmm. A lot of people will get mainstream media and they'll be somewhat interested as a hobbyist in data and the economy. And they'll have their sector, whether it's stock market or the bond market or the real estate market. And they'll have a conversation with you. <coughs> Not recognizing that Saeed also is this co-host of The Higher Standard. We do this twice a week, every single week. Right. We do the editing. We hear the same things that we're saying over and over again. We, we do watch, the research. We do the research. And that we probably have an aggregate picture that's a little bit bigger than theirs on some level. Yep. Right? And then you'll have these conversations with people, and they'll point to the indicators that support their position. Yet I could probably point to seven or eight that all show potentially catastrophic similarities to the Great Recession. I, I mean, right. this chart's a great one. Fed funds target rates uh, since 2006. Another great one is, is the QQQ, uh, the NASDAQ composite, compared to the Treasury market right now. Right. You've got the inverted yield curve. Mm -hmm. You've got home price historical affordability, right? You've got the Case-Shiller Index. I mean, you can go on and on and on. The question is, do you want to see those in? Do you want to see those indicators? Or do you want to have a conversation with me where you tell me why it's going to be okay? Yeah. Because if you're doing this for manifestation purposes, yeah. i got a great Grant Cardone seminar you can go to. You yeah. can 10X your ass all the way to Florida <laughs> and figure your shit out, okay? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and it's not just that. It's... Last, on the last episode, we talked about how there's so many different components that can cause an overheating economy. And right now, we're experiencing all of them at once. Yeah. And all we need is experience one of those things, right? Whether it's inflation, low unemployment, you know, uh, credit, you know, people going out there and getting a lot of credit all at once. Um, all these things can cause an overheating economy, which the Fed needs to wrangle it back in. You know what sucks? And most people don't realize this. You have a housing crisis, right? You have the whole secondary market, the, the mortgage-backed securities market, fall to shit. Mm. It's an instantaneous thing. Everybody knows it sucks. The market's fucked up. Guess what? You guys all prepare, hunker down, get through it, and you push through. What's going on now? All these little cracks are forming. Mm -hmm. We had a bit of a banking run, a little tiny one, but it wasn't a big deal. You're seeing debt, debt go up. You're seeing foreclosures start. You're seeing delinquencies some, go up. Delinquencies go up. Airbnb stuff getting challenged. You're seeing all these indicators in the, in the in the data that I've showed you, and we talked about on this particular show, other things. You know 
that we've seen unfe- unprecedented events, and it's just like little tiny pain points. It's death by a thousand cuts right now. Right. I mean, would you rather be stabbed once and go to the hospital and get fixed, or would you rather die with somebody just literally slicing you every 10 minutes? I think I'm going to choose the one where I live. That one. That's probably a valid point. I probably should use my hyperbole a little bit more wrangled in next time. Yeah. I'm just so excited about the reviews tonight. Yeah, I am too. Yeah. Should we get into it? Yeah, let's get into the reviews. Let, okay. Let's just let's just forego the foreplay. You don't want to get it, you don't want to talk about this too? Because this is kind of a big deal. What? So if Fly, this one blind. This from CNBC. The Fed would be flying blind on interest rate decisions after a government shutdown. Right? So Yeah, but you know my thoughts on this though. What? You want to know why? Go ahead, read it. I'll, I'll I'll reiterate. Go ahead. So, a uh, looming government shutdown could prevent the Federal Reserve from raising rates in November. Remember, there's two more meetings left. Mm-hmm. Uh, October 31st and November 1st is the next meeting, and then December 13th is yeah. the final meeting. Okay. Why this is why this could be a big deal is okay. If it's a government shutdown, let's say it only lasts a month, not a big deal. If it lasts two months or so, rem- remember a lot of the reports that they get are from government agencies. The stuff that they're basing their decisions off of. Oh, I see what you're saying. Well, first of all, let, let's be honest, okay? If anybody's a government employee, okay, I love you. This is not pointed at you. I do not want a non-five-star review or a revised three-star to a four-star. I want a five-star review. Listen, man, that's a <laughs> <Man>. sensitive topic. <laughs> Respectfully, we appreciate the the update, though. What I'm trying to say is this, is that it would not be news to anybody that a lot of government employees around the holidays are more focused on the holidays and less focused on the job and probably aren't working as their cadence would normally be throughout the year. Talk about being out of touch, though, right? Me? Or no. You? If there's a government shutdown by Congress, right? There's not going to—the Congress is always shut down at the end of the year. That's the irony here. I get it. Mitch McConnell has been shut down for a couple months. I get it. Nancy Pelosi's— Arguably been in jail. <coughs> but I'll say this. Excuse me. You know, you've been coughing a lot this episode, and I want to let you know that it's very distracting for you. If this is what it takes for the Fed to pause, then shut down all day, baby. All day for the rest of the year. So they make no more decisions. Well, I, I don't think the Fed's going to increase rates again anyway. And I'll tell you, if for no other reason... I heard somebody today say, because we talked about the last show, that the Fed has lost $100 billion to date. Right. $100 billion. Deferred asset. And they believe that through 2025, according to the author of that Wall Street Journal article, that another $100 billion is going to be lost. I'm sitting here thinking, wait, 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 hold on. Since this this year, in less than a year, you've already lost $100 billion. What the fuck makes you think it's going to take another a year and a half to lose another $100 billion? Right. You think the Fed can keep going? And here's what happens is they have a, a really cute accounting vernacular for it. Basically, they say, oh, this is a note to ourselves, and next year we'll take it out of next year's profits to pay ourselves Right, is how they, they handle the situation. Because typically speaking, the Fed makes between, call it, 80 to $100 billion a year. They're already at break even if they make that next year. They're going even more negative now. Right. And that is large. Those payments are largely impacted by the Fed funds rate. Banks. We've already talked about this in the show. If all things were static and their 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 expenses weren't to, weren't to change, go down, another increase like this, and you would cause the banks at least twenty five percent from a rough estimation to have some serious, significant financial trouble. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about a credit tightening cycle? What if there's just less banks? Yeah, they get to be real picky and choosy, right? The capital markets are shut down. There's not a whole lot of M and A yet because people are waiting for companies to fail across all different sectors and all different different markets. 
The liquidity markets have dried up because nobody wants to put money out right now. They want to wait and see what's happening. Right. You're already seeing a system shut down, even if the government's not shutting down. And the Fed is going to try to sit here. If you're really watching the data, if you're really, really watching the data and all these things that are happening, what are they going to do? They just shot you in both kneecaps and they're asking you to run. What are they going to do? Shoot you another kneecap again? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's true. You know, I mean, I know it's a graphic example, but it's like you've already taken all the wind out of the economy. Mm-hmm. What else are you going to do? You're going to raise it 25 base points again for what? To break the backs, yeah. To break the backs of themselves. Because keep in mind, the FOMC gets paid by the the government. The, everything runs the system together. So yeah. I, I don't. I just don't see another 25 basis points happening. I feel, I feel like it's illogical. The bond market already may impact the banking sector and several other sectors in general because a rise in the 10-year treasuries will ultimately cripple them. Which we'll get into on the next episode. So make sure you guys tune in there. Let's get into these reviews real quick. So right. this from T. Bish, one-year anniversary. Is that you, Tyler Bishop? It is. Ah, my man. After exactly one year of being a listener, I've decided to bestow an honest five-star review for the incredible folks with the higher st- oh, with the God. high standard. Bestow it on me, Tyler. Mm, yeah, bestow it all. Bestow it. I like to believe I'm well-educated when it comes to economics and personal finance. That was an Oreo Rubini. It was. Economics. Economics. It's refreshing to hear honest and update information in layman's terms so I can easily share with friends and family who don't share the same technical knowledge. Mm. Phenomenal hosts providing immeasurable value. Keep it up. Wow. Damn, kudos to you, sir. Good job. Immeasurable value. Yeah. Damn, that's three. That's Can't three. Third time's a charm, baby. Oh, the, the fist pumps? I'm telling you, he likes the non-hairy, hairy tap. Yeah. I got you. I'm trying to give you a good thumbnail. <laughs> also, kudos to you, Saeed, for dumbing down some of the stuff that Chris says. Really? What? Yeah. Did I? Oh, thanks, man. Appreciate it. I mean, he does a good job being dumb. Down. See? <laughs> <laughs> and then we're just going to give people an update on the three-star review. Yeah, let's do that. All right. So uh, the person that gave us a three-star review that we went out of our way to make sure we thoroughly explained to decided that we deserved an update. Listen, I, I know that okay, Sai is a little salty over the fact that this update included No, a, I'm not salty. He, I just, he's a little salty. I'm very curious. I, I, okay, you're curiously salty uh, because we got a upgrade from a three-star to a four-star. I, I look at it as this. The person is still a listener. Still a listener, yeah. When? Listened to our show. When? Responded to the feedback. Okay, And when? took the time out of his or her or their, their schedule to go back to the review and to update it and actually put a comment there. I thought it was very thoughtful. Yeah. I just want to know. Now they just slip on accident and hit four stars instead of five stars. I mean, just shoot us a DM. Let us know what yeah. a five-star podcast looks like or sounds like. No, no. Actually, I do know this person, and we did have a conversation. We're waiting to do this on the show. They did message me. Oh. And they did say they were willing you to give us a five-star review. You didn't tell me that. I did not tell you this. This is a lie. Here we no, go. No, it's the truth. Don't do not do that. Come on. Don't do that. <laughs> I will remind you. You gave us a one-star review. Okay, tell okay, me. So. What did they say? They said if you got laser hair removal, fucking guy, <laughs> a five star review. I don't make the rules, man. Yeah, I hope you get sick in Hawaii, man. <laughs> so the update is: thanks for addressing my question. No disrespect intended whatsoever. Upgraded to four stars. You're very welcome. Thank you, and no disrespect intended to you as well. And I will get Saeed to get the said laser hair removal, so you can give us the five star review that we. We appreciate about. you. Thank you. Yeah. What was the, the you can't do the Buddhist hand Why? gesture? Why? Why can't thing. I? Because I don't wear the Buddhist beads like you do. Yes, 
Where you are can't you? disrespect my religion. Where are your beads? I do it for the culture, baby. Where are your beads? I'm. You've honestly made me an atheist. <laughs> me? Yeah, you made fun of my religion. When? Huh? When? The other time you said, where is your anal beads? I didn't. You did that. You said that. Chris. You said that. Chris. Saeed. Christopher. That's, that's, that's messed up. <laughs> Cough if I'm telling the truth. Cough. Yeah, I'm telling the truth. <laughs> this piece of shit. You know I wasn't the one. It was that guy. Oh, so somebody did it say. It was me. <laughs> I'm having a cough attack. Good night, everybody. Bye.